special dedication to those who listen to this program from across the nation. From the heart and soul of Wendell Wallace, you have my greatest respect and admiration. Wendell's World in Sports is a podcast like no other, made for the listening pleasure for my sisters and brothers. My passion for the sports happenings of the world today overflowing. My skills and talent will always be showing a king like Bernard. My podcast will be held in his highest regard. Hope that my listening base will be reached from near and afar. My episodes in this greatness are like that of Tom Brady's. My podcast is great for all the fellas and ladies. You say my podcast isn't the best? Man, you must be crazy. Holding up the Champions Cup like the Tampa Bay Lightning hold up the Cup of Stanley, sacking the competition more times than Dexter Manley. I will deal with the fools and haters quite handedly and quite candidly. I'm that damn good. So please, stay in your lane. What I'm doing, you can't be a partaker. If you even think about missing with my show, in the words of The Undertaker, you will rest in peace. Wendell's World and Sports Download, subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, enjoy anywhere, anyway, anyhow you listen or watch your favorite podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No good. Tipped in. Giannis tipped it home. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Rip, Roin, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. And welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. Special dedication for those who are listening to this episode of the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to. If you would like to go ahead and see how the bacon is cooked in terms of me doing a video speaking about what's happening in the world of sports, you go over to my YouTube channel. That's Wendell's World of Sports. And go ahead and subscribe to that channel if you would. That would be absolutely fantastic. But if you're going to stick with the audio episode anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcast, Amazon, iTunes, iHeart, Spotify, if you're going to listen that way, first of all, thank you so much. And second of all, if you could just go ahead and download, subscribe, rate, review, again, to the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to and enjoy, most importantly, I would appreciate that so much. So there we go. All right, before I get into speaking about the the Sean Watson situation, his suspension, before I get into my platitudes and my thoughts and opinions about the passing of an American icon and legend and pioneer in Bill Russell, one of the greatest athletes in sports history, before I get into all of those things, I'm just going to very briefly touch on the trade deadline, the major trade that happened today in Major League Baseball, yes, I'm recording this on a Tuesday afternoon, so it'll be out. This should be published, or it's probably going to be published, or it will be published no later than Wednesday if you're somewhere on the west coast of the racist, ignorant, divided states of America, anywhere else. You're looking at anywhere between, uh, if you're in Hawaii, this is going to be coming out probably around a Tuesday mid-afternoon, or if you're in somewhere in Australia, New Zealand, what's happening, this is going to be out probably on a Wednesday afternoon, but 
Um, speaking about this trade here in Major League Baseball, the Washington Nationals giving up Juan Soto, trading him to the San Diego Padres. Interesting, because when the rumors first came to fruition, or when the news came down that the Nationals were going to trade Juan Soto or were open to trading Soto because he turned down a lucrative uh, offer from the Nationals which signaled that he was not interested in staying with the Nationals anymore, with Washington anymore. Many people thought that the teams of familiarity in terms of getting huge, you know, big big players and big-time contracts in the past, such as the New York Yankees or the Los Angeles Dodgers, maybe those two would be the front-runners for the uh, Nationals to trade Soto. But it's the San Diego Padres. Now you're taking a look at the team, if the deadline trade deadline stays the same, that the Padres are the clear winners of this uh, day of transaction, these days of transactions, and that put themselves together a team. We speak about the uh, Atlanta Braves, them signing Austin Riley to a 10-year, $212 million contract and solidifies their young core for the Braves, who happen to be the defending champions. You're speaking about a team in Atlanta, baseball-wise, that's that's set up to... um, be a championship contending team for the foreseeable future with, you know, four or five or six or seven good years of solid um, solid work ahead of them to win championships. Now the San Diego Padres with Manny Machado, the acquisition of Juan Soto and Fernando Tatis Jr. comes back from injury. The pitching staff that they have, the San Diego Padres now have put themselves in a position to be contending for a championship for years to come with the big market, big money, high spending teams like the Los Angeles Dodgers, the New York Yankees, the New York Mets, uh, situations where they're in the markets that they're in. They have the uh, finances to keep a good thing going with uh, wise decisions and sound judgment in terms of their front office and such that, you know, the San Diego Padres have now joined that joined that club in terms of teams that for the next for, for the foreseeable future are going to be having real opportunities to win championships. The New York Yankees right up there, the Los Angeles Dodgers right up there, two of the best teams in the league, not just uh, record-wise, but even with the acquisition of Juan Soto, I think that the uh, Dodgers are still the best team in the, the National League, even though we can't count out the Atlanta Braves. I don't think in terms of the New York Mets, even though they have Pete Alonso, who's a great all-around player, I don't know as far as the power is concerned from the New York Mets starting lineup that they're going to be able to sustain sustain any type of success once the um, once the playoffs hit. And with the American League, and you have the Yankees, you have the uh, Houston Astros, um, you know, kind of neck and neck. The Astros taking the season series from the Yankees five games to two this year. So, you know, the, the Yankees have the ultimate equalizer and Aaron Judge. Um, uh, on their squad, and they have, you know, uh, they have they have the, they have the team to uh, definitely be competing for years. But you know, the, just wanted to uh, mention the the uh, trade that happened in Major League Baseball. Even though in terms of uh, baseball situation with me, where it's kind of like my my gears start to get revved up once the playoffs hit in Major League Baseball. I just can't do the day to day. I I really just can't can't follow the day to day deal. In terms of that stuff, I keep abreast of what's going on, and I watch a game or two every now and then, especially on the weekends, especially now in August, where football is right around the corner, and mainly the 
really the only sport that you have on television to be watching is baseball. Can't sit there and watch a three and a half hour baseball game, but I can go ahead and follow bits and pieces throughout the day. So, yeah, baseball for me is starting to uh, starting to come into the radar where I need to be paying more attention to it. And uh, once the playoffs start and everything, I'll be uh, I'll be good enough to uh, go ahead go ahead and give my thoughts and opinions. Not 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 at the Tim Kirchin level, but hopefully at a respectable level. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So that was some things in baseball because you know the stuff that I'm doing today, the the podcast that I'm doing today. I mean, one one of these days. In football, with the NFL right around the corner, I think it's, what, five weeks, the uh, Hall of Fame game between the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars and the Las Vegas Raiders is going to be coming up in a couple of days. So I I, want to really start getting into some stuff in terms of, really, which team is, you know, looks to be good, which team looks to be bad, you know, speaking about the everydays of the action, the happenings that are actually on the field. I would love to be speaking about, you know, the Dallas Cowboys and what they're going to do on offense. My, uh, you know, my Washington commanders, what's going to be happening out, you know, with with them, new quarterback Carson Wentz coming in. Uh, I I would love to be speaking about those type of things. I'd love to be speaking about the impact that Russell Wilson is going to have on the Denver Broncos, the uh, wide receiver acquisition when we're speaking about big time wide receiver acquisitions with Devontae Adams going to the Las Vegas Raiders with Tyreek Hills going to the Kansas City, uh, going from Kansas City to the uh, Miami Dolphins. So I would love to be speaking about those type of things. I would love to be speaking about stuff of interest on the football field. But man, it's almost like a situation where I have to put it on pause because just like last podcast where I was speaking about Tyler, Kyler Murray and his situation where he was, there, there was words, there was language put into his contract speaking about he needs to study a certain amount of time. That brought up all type of emotions uh, toward that uh, subject matter. And we spoke about that. I thought I was going to get through with that. But we knew looming in the horizon, over the horizon and coming soon, would be the Deshaun Watson situation in terms of the decision of how many games he was going to be suspended, that the NFL's decision ruling was was coming down to that. And I even spoke about that in terms of, uh, you know, any outside forces, Roe v. Wade decision coming into play where the arbitrator would make a decision with the, maybe with the climate of what just happened, another another right taken away from uh, the, including into the, equality of women so i thought i gave a little deal on that in terms of you know the nfl the position that they're in the 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 image that they have when it comes to concerning women that uh, would that make any play especially when you're speaking about the judge who would be ruling on the decision being being a woman itself i mean would that have any type of play or would she just put the blinders on and just speak and just speak to legal precedent and uh, make a decision based on that well the decision came down, and guess what? Clearly, without a shadow of a doubt, that this was a situation that was based clearly on evidence, legalese, blinders on, not paying attention to anything else going around in the world, what's happening in this country of ours, because, man, Deshaun Watson suspended for the first six regular season games of the upcoming season without pay. Okay. Watson is going to serve a six-game suspension without pay, hip, hip, hooray, but will not be fined 
for violating the league's personal conduct policy following accusations of sexual misconduct. Disciplinary officer Sue L. Robinson ruled on Monday. Now, I was taking this stuff from a story written by Jake Trotter of ESPN.com. It said Robinson issued her ruling in a comprehensive 16-page report. She wrote that the NFL recommended Watson be suspended for the entire 2022 regular season and postseason. The NFL Players Association and League have until Thursday, 9 a.m. Eastern Time, to file a written appeal of Robinson's ruling in a statement Sunday night. The union made it clear that it will stand by her decision and urge the NFL to do the same. Yeah, I guess it would kind of urge the NFL to do the same because six games, that's all it is. That's insulting. That's mystifying. That's uh, bewildering. Uh, to say the least. Now, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to state right now that, uh, you know, I'm not privy to all of the information that Sue Robinson had. I'm not privy in terms of, you know, really what what went into her decision from the outside looking in, from all the evidence, from everything that I gathered in terms of being an outside person looking in on this whole Deshaun Watson situation in terms of the accusations and the penalties and everything, the legalese, all this non- nonsense. I'm, 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 I'm on the outside looking in on it. So I didn't have some of the tools and the vehicle and the avenues that uh, Sue L. Robinson had to go down and make this decision. But from a layman's point of view, a guy who's not a lawyer, doesn't even try to play one while doing a podcast, it just seemed to me six games. When you take into account all of the accusation, accusations and I'm the type of guy where it's kind of like, look, man, where there's smoke, I'm probably going to say it's a fire. Even though I can't prove it's a fire, even though I haven't seen the fire itself, if I see smoke coming from a distance, I'm going to go on the assumption that it's a fire, not someone just barbecuing in the backyard. So, you know, that's my deal. And I know in a court of law, I know when these rulings and everything, when you're dealing with uh, different type of legalese and all this type of stuff, it's a different... It's a different deal in terms of innocent until proven guilty and having to go through the steps in the court of law. But, you know, for, for someone who's kind of like if it if it meows and it has a tail and it purrs, then it must be a cat. You know, it's a, it's a situation where it's kind of like, wow. So as I mentioned before, the NFL Players Association and the league have until Thursday, Thursday morning at 9 a.m. <clears throat> to, uh, to, pe- to appeal. It will be interesting if the NFL... And Roger Goodell does appeal because it's a situation where it's kind of like after the couple of fumbles and stumbles and bumbles that led to negative perception from the outside and the public concerning some of the rulings with the NFL. It was a situation where, look, on a situation in a case like this, especially when we're speaking about anything in terms of domestic violence or men acting badly with any type of degree toward women that we don't want to be responsible for the responsibility of handing out the punishment. So we'll go ahead and have somebody else do it. And that way our hands will be clean with the ruling. Now, all of a sudden putting the finger in the air after wetting it and seeing, Hmm, let me see here. The NFL uh, is, is uh, contemplating and seeing that the, uh, that the public is outraged by this decision. Now, all of a sudden, if they go ahead and file an appeal to give Watson the, year-long suspension it's a situation where man, you're not going to win that's not going to be making the nfl look better in anyone's eyes because now all of a sudden you you give this power to someone else because you're too cowardly 
to go ahead and do it yourself. So you give it to a third person, you give it to the third person with the, uh, with the acumen to do it, and all of a sudden, if you don't like it, you're going to take it back and say, oh, yeah, the NFL, who's really standing by women, all of a sudden now we're going to take a stand and say, no, six games is too little. We're going to give them the full year. So women bow down. Women give us high five. Women shake our hand. Women go ahead and dance with us. We, um, we're we looking out for you. No, man, that perception about the NFL still being negative toward women is still going to be there. And it would look silly. Why even have a third party to rule on these things if you don't like what they're going to be ruling that you're going to make the ruling yourself. And if you're the NFL PA, yes, I understood if you go ahead and read the history that yes, they were the ones who agreed that with the third party arbitrator that would be ruling on situations like these that if the NFL did not like the decision that was made that Roger Goodell could then go ahead file an appeal and then he would be the one to make the final decision in terms of what the punishment will be. I understood that that was collectively bargained. So, sorry, NFL Players Union, that was your stupidity to go ahead and do that. I, I understand that. But damn, if I'm the NFL PA, I'm like, what, just because you decided that you didn't want to go ahead and do the hard work and you would have somebody else do this, and when they decided on something that you didn't like, then you would go ahead and make a harsher ruling? Because in the situation, I don't think the NFL would be dueling if, if, if the... The Sean Watson case or anything else came down to a ruling to where it would be in the, in another direction that the NFL would then appeal it. So to me, it's a situation where if I'm the NFL PA, I'm like, nah, man, six games is six games. The NFL PA knows that it get lucky with the Sean Watson getting six games. I'm quite sure the majority of their ranking players are like, wow, that man got only six games. The rank and file of his... Uh, of uh, of the players in the NFL. I mean, they know that what Deshaun Watson did at the very least was creepy, was abnormal in terms of the everyday of how you deal with masseuses and massage therapists and such. So they know that Deshaun Watson was in the wrong. Hey, man, just like OJ. We knew that OJ killed them two motherfuckers, but it's like, what the hell are we going to do? We're going to go ahead and ask him to throw the book at him, throw him in jail for the rest of his life? We got away with it. Don't let it happen again. So it's a situation where it's kind of like with Deshaun Watson. It's like, look, man, I mean, you know what the guy did was horrible and it was terrible. But, um, you know, shit. I mean, you gave him six games. You gave him six games. Now, all of a sudden, the NFL wants to flex his muscles and say, no, we're going to give you more games. Fuck that. So it's a situation where the NFL, and again, is the NFL doing this, in my opinion, because, oh, my goodness gracious, we, we can't let down women and we've turned a corner and we've changed our tune and we're now you know for women's right and the me too movement has all of a sudden infiltrated the minds and the moral fiber of jerry jones and robert Kraft, who has had his indiscretions when it comes to uh sexual misconduct in certain levels shall we say uh a uh, uh, place in florida where people give massages wink wink so i mean where we're speaking about a bunch of old men acting badly, behaving badly in certain situations on certain levels, all of a sudden now they're going to become woke to the to the uh, movement of women to become true equal participants in society and become true equal participants in life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That all of a sudden they're going to be outraged. I'm quite sure Jimmy Haslam, who's paying a boatload of money for Deshaun Watson, is not one of those owners who is like, yeah, let's go ahead and uh, appeal this decision and have Roger Goodell, the guy who I'm paying his $44 million a year salary to extend the punishment for Deshaun Watson to have it an entire year 
Let's go ahead and let's have that guy go ahead and do that. With the Cleveland Browns, a team that I own that hasn't uh, done squat in, I don't know, maybe going on 30, 40 years. And we're speaking about the Cleveland Browns, one of the historic franchises in the NFL and one of the great fan bases in the NFL. I'm, I'm quite sure Jimmy Haslam is not on board to go ahead and, and, and do that. So it'll be interesting moving forward because, man, it, it, everything is precedent. Just like this ruling, right? Isn't that what Sue L. Robinson was speaking about? Precedent, precedent, precedent. Well, do you really want this precedent? If you're an owner of a football team and you have a player of uh, great magnitude and, and great impact and uh, great responsibility for your team to do well if he all of a sudden acts badly, I mean, as, as much as it might sound hypocritical to me, if I'm owning the Cleveland Browns and I'm paying one of my employees $230 million, most of that, almost all of that guaranteed, I'm paying him an average salary of almost $46 million a year, and I'm owning a team and I'm owning a franchise as historical and potentially profitable, financially profitable as the Cleveland Browns, man. I don't want Deshaun Watson suspended six games. I don't want him suspended 12 games. I don't want him suspended any games because I need to win football games. And I'm quite sure that I paid, what, well, I'm probably of a team that paid over a billion dollars or close to a billion dollars for this football team. I need to maximize my financial opportunities as much as possible, and getting Deshaun Watson will do that for me. Having Deshaun Watson play quarterback for my football team in the prime of his life, in the prime of his athletic career, will do that for me. And after a guy who missed an entire year of football, because the Houston Texans put him on ice because of the situation. I can't have a guy who I'm paying $230 million miss another year, especially on my watch, even if I'm not going to be uh, responsible for his contract, even if the NFL does uh, suspend him without pay. And for the Players Association and Sean Watson and such, I mean, it's just, if this decision is appealed and this becomes of the appeals process in terms of Roger Goodell getting his way, on the length of suspension for Deshaun Watson. I'm like That's the situation where like, nah, man, what can we do to fight this legally? So this is just, this is just a whole bunch of nonsense that I don't think the NFL, the owners, anybody wants to, uh, wants to go to. And the worryment or the question about what is this decision going to do in terms of hurting the game and hurting Deshaun Watson and, what the perception will be and what the reaction will be toward women and what short and long-term punishment and damage it will do to the league. Does anybody who has a brain in their head, anybody who is living in this country, anybody who does not live under a rock, anybody who lives in society, shouldn't you know by now with everything that the National Football League does, its players, its owners, the league itself, don't you realize that there is nothing, nothing that the NFL can do to damage the popularity and the long-term financial um, you know, uh, situation towards them in terms of them making boatloads of money? There, there, there's nothing. There's nothing. Anything. <laughs> Racism, misogyny, nothing. It doesn't matter for the majority of us, me included. So I, am, I, I put myself in this category and I'm not proud of it, 
But when Sundays come on, when Sundays being out here on the West Coast at 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock in the morning when the uh, games come on, guess who's going to be there watching the games from week one till the Super Bowl? And then start jonesing for the NFL a few months after the season's over. It's going to be me. And it's going to be you. And it's going to be your husband. And it's going to be your kids. And it's going to be your uncle. And it's going to be your grandparents. And it's going to be your children. And it's going to be everybody else. It's going to be your next door neighbor. It's going to be your uh, your, your your co-worker. It's going to be everybody else. That's the NFL, baby. So it, it, do, it doesn't matter what happens. A bunch of motherfucking athletes can hijack a fucking plane and fly it into a fucking building. As long as they start playing on Sunday, the the, the folks who didn't, the NFL is going to remain the king. So it, for, for me, it's always a situation where it's almost like politics, right? It's almost like uh, certain people in politics where no matter how egregious, how racist, how misogynistic, how idiotic, how non-democratic a certain party will vote or what laws will be put into place, it won't matter. It doesn't matter how corrupt, it doesn't matter how evil, it doesn't matter how non-moral, it doesn't matter how hypocritical, it doesn't matter how anti-Christ the candidate is, as long as he's playing for your team, you will vote for him. No matter what. Call that stupidity, call that devotion, call that ignorance, call that just being compliant with comfortability, whatever you want to do. It's the same thing with the NFL. We can shout and we can scream and we can moan and we can groan and we can do all these type of things. I do it every year. I'm a hypocrite. I do it every year. When the NFL goes through its hiring cycle and um, the topic of when are black coaches going to be hired? When are black coaches going to be hired? What's wrong with the NFL? What's going on with the NFL? And we have these discussions. I have it on my podcast every year like clockwork. What's going on with the NFL? What's wrong with the NFL? The NFL is racist. These owners need to be woke. These these owners need to be, uh, you know, this, that, and the other. They need to do this. They need to do that. And it's terrible. And it's horrible. And it's ridiculous. And it's a problem. And Roger Goodell at the Super Bowl, at the week of the Super Bowl, he gets in front of the uh, microphones, in front of the media, in front of the press, in front of everybody. And he speaks about, yes, we need to have some... uh, we need to have some progression. We need to have some improvement in terms of minority candidates getting true opportunities to get jobs in terms of head coaches and offensive coordinators and general managers and people of, of, of you know, the higher ups. He does this every year. And it's a problem. It's terrible. And we're working on it. And we're working on it. And we're looking into it. And we're doing this. And we have the Rooney Rule and all of these type of things. Then you have the hiring cycle and... Blacks and other minorities get shut out for the most part. A few get hired, but for the most part, not nearly enough to satisfy the masses who are shouting and screaming, me included. So we sit there and we moan and we bitch and we complain and we speak about how horrible and terrible and racist and prejudice and all this kind of stuff. But guess what? Guess what? When the football season rolls around, these same people, me included, who are sitting there moaning and crying and bemoaning and this, that, and him hawing about how horrible and terrible and racist and ignorant and, um, you know, all these things concerning the NFL. What's, where are we three months later? Where am I four months later? Opening season of the NFL. Where am I? Sitting right in front of that, right, right on my couch, watching the game. And I love the game. Nothing can take me away from the game. 
And when the season's over and, <laughs> and the situation's going to come up again, I'll be sitting there whining and crying and moaning and groaning about how black folks aren't going to get the true opportunity to be head coaches and offensive coordinators. It's the same song, same dance. It's the same old song, but with a different meaning since you've been gone. It's the same thing, man. So if I'm these owners, I just sit there, yeah, 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 I know, we're horrible. Yeah, I know, I'm a racist. Yeah, I'm a bad guy. Yeah, I know, I'm out of touch. Yeah, I know, I got my head in the sand. Yeah, I know, I'm Republican. Yeah, I know, I voted for the Antichrist in 2016. Yeah, I know all these things, but uh, just shut the fuck up and we'll see you in, we'll just see you in uh, September. Bye! So it's the same thing, I hate to say it, with this ruling with uh, Deshaun Watson getting only six games. Is it an affront to women? Yes. Is it an affront and disrespectful to the Me Too movement and other movements that uh, women are doing right now, are involved in right now to try to gain true equal opportunity for themselves in society? Yes, it is. It's just another reminder, just like when black folks don't get hired for a job that they should in the NFL, it's just a reminder that as far as we've come, we still have a long way to go. The same thing with women. Same thing with women in this society, women in this country. When we have a situation where Deshaun Watson is accused 24 times, or 27, of sexual misconduct. 27 times. And he gets a six-game suspension. And then what makes it even worse, maybe just as infuriating to those who find this outrageous, is the day of the suspension being announced, Deshaun Watson, after practice, is signing autographs for folks looking to, uh, you know, hordes of people, men, women alike, more men than women. But for the most part, he's being mobbed. He's being swamped for autographs. A guy who has been accused of some type of sexual misconduct over two dozen times. And before I really go into my outrage, what am I going to do? I'm shouting and screaming about this, but when Deshaun Watson comes back from um, suspension, you betcha, am I going to be watching that October 23rd game against the Baltimore Ravens? You betcha. And I could sit here for the next, I don't know, 15 hours. I'm not going to do that. Calm down. But I could sit here and speak about how horrible and terrible Deshaun Watson and the ruling and and all these type of things, and, you know, what is the NFL doing, and its treatment of women, and it's so disrespectful, and all of these type of things. I can get up here, and I can shout, and I can scream, and I can do all these things, which I am going to be doing, and which I have been doing. But hypocritical. I'm a hypocrite, because guess what? If there was some way, somehow, that my Washington commanders should get Deshaun Watson to play for our football team, you're damn hell right I'd want to get Deshaun Watson on my football team. And would I be dancing in the streets like Martha and the Vandellas and dancing on the ceiling like like uh, Lionel Richie doing a funky chick and the kid and play and the James Brown and the running man? If Deshaun Watson playing for the Washington Commanders would have gotten only a six-game suspension, you're damn right. And would I be fearful and, 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 uh, and apprehensive about the NFL appealing it with the thought of them trying to suspend Deshaun Watson from quarterbacking my team for the entire year and I would not want that to happen you're damn right does that make me a hypocrite you're damn right does that make me weak you're damn right does that kind of make a dent in my personality in terms of my character my moral character you're damn right 
but acknowledging it is half the battle and knowing it is half the battle. But, you know, so that's the cycle. That's the cycle that we're all about with Deshaun Watson. Because if he's playing for your team, and you can sit there and kind of say, well, yeah, this, that, and the other. Yeah, well, yeah, this, that, and the other. If, if Deshaun Watson was playing for the Washington Commanders, and somehow, some way, they said, ah, you know what, he he didn't play last season, and he learned his lesson, and he said he was sorry, and he said he was going to do some things to help out. You know, he was going to go visit a couple of bettered women's shelters and that type of thing and make a couple of PSAs and get on Oprah and say that he's sorry or Dr. Phil or whoever, go on Good Morning America and speak to Robin Roberts and somebody and speak about, oh, I'm sorry, this is terrible, this is horrible, and this, that, and the other. Hey, man, do what you need to do, but if he got zero games, you're damn right. Would I be sitting up there if he was the quarterback, Deshaun Watson was quarterbacking, quarterbacking the Washington Commander? Do you think I would be sitting up there, you know, talking about how outrageous and how ridiculous and how horrible and how bad the NFL is and all those type of things? Do you think I would be saying that? Of course I wouldn't. The Washington football team hasn't done anything for almost a couple of generations. I need the team to win. I need my team to win football games. Is it ridiculous? Did I, is that is what I'm saying ridiculous and idiotic and out of touch? Yes, it is on a certain level. But I can't help myself. I love my commanders and nobody else when it comes to the NFL. So, uh, yeah, that's the situation that the NFL finds itself in. And it happens with, with everything, man. The NFL is king. We know it. You know it. Everybody knows it. So, there you go. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Yeah. So, Robinson, you know, gave Watson, Suell Robinson, the arbitrator, the decision maker for the crimes that were committed, the judge, jury, executioner of this ruling, said the reason why she gave Deshaun six games was because of precedent. She sought to Different, differentiate the difference between violent and nonviolent sexual conduct. I don't know what that means. Robinson considered concluded that Watson's conduct does not fall into the category of violent conduct. They would require the minimum six game suspension, which the league had established as by far the most commonly imposed discipline for domestic or gendered violence and sexual acts. Now, excuse me. Now I looked up the definition of sexual misconduct because she was making the difference between violent and nonviolent sexual misconduct. So I looked up sexual misconduct. First, I looked up nonviolent sexual misconduct. The legal definition of nonviolent means the absence of physical actions resulting in injury or death and non-physical actions such as economic coercion, intimidation, threats, and any other form of of physical psychological abuse the legal definition of sexual misconduct is any verbal nonverbal written or electronic communication or any other act directed toward or with a student that is designed to establish a sexual relationship with a student including a sexual invitation dating or soliciting a date engaging in sexual dialogue making sexually suggestive comments self-disclosure or physical exposure of a sexual or erotic nature in any other sexual incident or erotic contact with a student. This is probably when you're speaking about sexual harassment, including the student's workplace or whatever. So I'm, I'm putting those two things together. A nonviolent sexual misconduct, taking the taking some of the legalese definitions and wording of the absence of physical actions resulting in any 
and injury or death, non-threat, non-physical actions such as economic coercion, intimidation, threats, and then any verbal, non-verbal, written or electronic communication or, or any other act directed toward or with the student. That's okay, so that's the legal definition of sexual misconduct. Non, so basically, I guess what non-violent sexual misconduct is is a situation where it's um, you're you're harassing. I'm guessing it's going to be what some type of form of harassment. I'm not a lawyer, so please excuse my ignorance on this. But it's a situation where I'm speaking out loud, where it's it's a form of harassment. So you're you're not raping. You're not physically injuring somebody. You're not raping somebody. That would be my guess in terms of the nonviolent sexual misconduct. So. As long as you're not doing that, as long as you're just having some form of um, having some form of uh, sexual harassment, sexual harassment, I mean, you know, being the coercion to uh, interact or having some type of intimate action or, you know, or having sex, then I guess as long as you're not physically, again, raping somebody, then that's the definition of a nonviolent sexual misconduct so i i don't know uh, you're speaking about violent and non-violent sexual misconduct i mean you know you you, re- you re- realize what watson is alleged of right when you're speaking about some of the reasons why these women are suing him and taking him to court or when you're speaking about watson's been alleged of ejaculating on them without their consent during some of these um massage uh, sessions some of the women say that he touched them with his penis against their will Two of the women detailed accounts of sexual assault, including force, oral penetration. Two additional women filed criminal complaints, and the 27th woman sued him but withdrew her lawsuit over privacy concerns. So when you're speaking about some of the women saying that he ejaculated on them without their consent, uh, okay, that for the legalese term, he might not have quote-unquote raped them because my thought and definition of rape is something a lot more violent than someone ejaculating on somebody without their consent it's just as disgusting it's just as horrible it's just as creepy it's just as rotten but it's a different level of what we think of as as rape or at least that's what i think of again they it's all under the same boat but you know violently raping somebody and ejaculating on them without their consent while giving them a massage, while just as disgusting and horrible, is 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 still, I don't know. Some of the women saying that he touched them with his penis against their will. Again, that doesn't, that wouldn't fall into some type of violent act, a, a non-violent act. Yes, a, ejaculating on them is non-violent, but you know, I mean, maybe in the physical. But I mean, just think about what that does for someone psychological, psychologically. Not just in terms of their everyday of just living life, especially women living the life that they have to live because of them being women and because of their gender and giving them not, not, not because of their gender, women are not privy to all of the um, freedoms and liberties that, that men have. So women have to go through life dealing with that bullshit. Then on the situation where not just with the everyday, but with the job themselves. You know, how that would affect them in the job that they do. And I'm quite sure when you're speaking again, we see how the world and our society, how we view 
such professions as massage therapists, we have the stereotype to where it could be lended to where if you're speaking about someone who is a massage therapist or like I mentioned before, a dancer or a flight attendant or a hooker or something like that, or excuse me, a prostitute, excuse me, a sex worker, how they're kind of lumped into the, well, yeah, the profession that they're in, I'm sorry that someone ejaculated on you. I'm sorry that um, you had to touch someone's penis against your will. Sorry that you had to give oral sex because you, even though you didn't want to. Yeah, I'm sorry you had to go through that. But, I mean, check the profession that you're doing. While it's not cool, it kind of comes with the territory. You know, that's the ignorant, out-of-touch, out-of-date, misogynistic, prejudice, bigotry type of uh, thinking that goes on. You know how women have to always fight the, yeah, you know, you getting raped or date raped. Yeah, that sucked. And that's horrible. And I wouldn't do it. But I saw how you were dressing that night. I mean, come on. I mean, basically, you were asking for it. I mean, I saw the type of people that you were speaking to. Yeah, I saw the way that you were acting around that guy. Yeah, I saw the way that you were flirting. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, he paid for your dinner and the meal was very expensive. I mean, what did you expect? I mean, we're, so we're still fighting that. We're still fighting those tropes. We're still fighting those, the, 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 that, that stigma. We're still fighting that stupidity. So we're speaking about violent, nonviolent sexual misconduct. Yeah, Deshaun Watson did not traditionally rape somebody like we, we think that he has done to where it's kind of like, look, man, put that motherfucker not just in jail, but under the prison. And uh, in fact, put him in general pop and let some long-term prisoners who have been there 20, 30 years who hadn't gotten a taste of pussy in, in decades, let them uh, get some fresh meat and let Deshaun Watson get gang raped and some of the shit that he did to women. Let some of those prisoners, let some of those cons do the same thing to him that he did to those women day after day after day after day after day. That'll teach that motherfucker, and at least revenge is best served ejaculated. So let's kind of go through that. So Deshaun didn't hit that level, but still, what he did was disgusting and horrible and terrible, and it's right out there for the public to see it, and because of that, he only gets six games, and it's a situation where the NFL can say, hey, we wanted him to be suspended for the entire year. This woman judge was the one that gave him six um, six games. Because we're dealing with this from the emotional, not from a legal standpoint. You know, what we feel should be the court of public opinion and the judicial system sometimes is a lot different. You know, we, we feel that Deshaun should be facing a lot harder, harsher punishment than he received from the NFL. Because we have all the situations, we have all the allegations, we read all the stories, we've seen all of these things. The judge is not dealing with any of that. The judge can only deal with evidence that's been presented to her and precedent. That's it. She she can't she can't get she can't put emotion into this. And, and I'm quite sure if you asked Judge Robinson, or I'm quite sure if you asked her. You know, what do you think? I'm quite sure she would probably say, yeah, I wish I could give a harsher punishment. But precedent and the legal course of things shows that I can only give him six games. We we might not like it. We might think it's stink. We might think it's horrible. Again, I mean, it's, it's the same situation where, um, you know, uh, someone who has been convicted of child molestation 
Well, he could have been a predator for years and years and years and molested, you know, you know, a whole bunch of kids. But if there's only going to be a couple of of uh, cases coming that way, well, then, you know, you, you can't bring in other cases to help fortify and strengthen the the the, the punishment. She had to go on, not she had to go on or he had to go on in the case was presented to him and, and not anything else. So when you're speaking about her ruling on four cases, the other 23 or 19 or whatever, I mean, those are, those can't be, those can't be brought into play. So, you know, she had to go by president. So, okay. I, I wish that she would have, could have set a new president. That that would have been interesting. That would have been great. That would have been wonderful, especially in the climate that we live in now, especially in the movements that we live in now. When you're speaking about Black Lives Matter and you're speaking about uh, the Me Too movement and you're, and you're speaking about the movement of all different types of uh, minorities and others, I'm I'm I wish there was historical precedent, if you want to call it historical, to to really come down on someone who created these um, misgivings or created these 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 crimes. That Deshaun Watson did, but you know, when when you're speaking about look all, all this other stuff, Deshaun Watson had to spend an hour, hadn't spent five minutes, hadn't spent five seconds in a prison cell, in a jail cell, in a holding cell. So I don't know, man. I don't know. And then you know, again, conflicted, because I could sit here and speak about all those things, but I could say those things with a little bit more gumption and a little bit more oomph and a little bit more emotion and a little bit more passion, because. Deshaun Watson is quarterback in the Cleveland Browns, not the Washington Commanders. And I hate to say it, and I would probably be on the same page of saying, well, you know, damn, but, you know, he got what he deserved. But still, there would be that 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 damn part where I would be like, man, yeah, damn. Yeah, I mean, what Deshaun Watson did, and he suspended for the entire year, damn. That sucks. That's horrible. But, you know, he got what he deserved. Even though he got what he deserved, I wish he didn't get what he deserved. Why? The only reason? Because he could be quarterbacking my football team and I could win more games. It's 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 not something that I'm proud of. It's not something that, you know, I don't know. It's one of, it's one of, no one perfect. The only person who was perfect was someone who even we nailed to the cross for seven days. So I don't know. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So, yes, man, when we're speaking about this whole Deshaun Watson type of deal, the bottom line is, look, when Deshaun Watson comes back to play, he will be welcomed by the Cleveland community, the majority. There'll be some who are totally against him being employed and him representing their football team. I get it. I understand it. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, um, but it's all going to be how, how far, how long will the story go? How long will the outrage? How long will the discussion? This, this this is a great this is a great discussion point for women and men to be discussing as we move along toward women trying to find true equality in this world that we live in and the society that we live in. Here's another example. Here's another here's another meat on the bone that can be taken and that can be discussed for real, truly. That can be discussed, and we can get past the. Uh, superficial we can get past the you know surface outrage of horrible terrible awful this and the other well if it's all horrible awful and terrible why are you going to be watching the Cleveland Browns and cheering Deshaun Watson and act like nothing happened when he came back 
And Deshaun Watson's not the only one. I mean, there's been a multitude of NFL players who have uh, done this. There's been a multitude of NBA players. There's been a multitude of Major League Baseball players. There's been a multitude of football and soccer players. There's been a multitude of of, of, of men behaving badly. Never from every profession that uh, we shine a spotlight on and uh, we, we put on a pedestal and we use as role models. Kobe Bryant, God bless his soul, him and Hope he's resting in heaven, but uh, Kobe, if we if we kind of bring up Colorado, you know, it, it, it happens. Floyd Mayweather, my community is so stupid and blind and ignorant that here's a guy, Floyd Mayweather, this worthless piece of shit who beat up his beat up the mother of his child in front of him, then had the nerve to threaten the child if he told anybody about it. Floyd went to jail for a year, came back, and was still selling millions upon millions of pay per views. Uh, for his fights. And the black community was still treating him like a champ. Uh, a black man who beat up a black woman in front of his black child and then threatened that black child if he told anybody. And my community is so shallow and dumb that they were just like, hey, all right, Floyd, that's our guy. So, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, when he's on ESPN, they have no problem putting the spotlight on that piece of shit. So it's like, all right, you know, like, fine, whatever. <laughs> so, you know, this is a situation where Deshaun Watson is not the, uh, is not the outlier for, for any of this stuff. I mean, you know, Greg Hardy, damn near, I mean, what um, Deshaun Watson did was horrible and awful. Greg Hardy should be in a prison cell. Greg Hardy is, what he did when he was with the Carolina Panthers to his girlfriend was abhorrent, was evil, was awful, was unforgivable. I don't care how many times he goes to church. I will never forgive, I'm like, Greg Hardy cares about me. But I'm just saying, what Greg Hardy did was fucking awful. But he went to the Dallas Cowboys and Jerry Jones made him a captain and then was sitting there talking about my daughter is going to be the one to rehabilitate him. If you read what Greg Hardy did at his apartment in Carolina years ago to his then girlfriend, it's disgusting. It's horrible. It's probably something that you can only read once. It's so terrible. But, uh, you know, he got another chance in the NFL and the NFL is still going strong. So, you know, it's a, it's a convoluted tale it's a complex tale that we have when it comes to our heroes that we worship, that we uh, that we go on to and where we hold them on pedestals, pedestals, shall we say. Yeah, I understand no one's perfect. No one's perfect. That's why, you know, that's why we always say, you know, Lord, forgive me, confess for I have sinned against thee and thought word and deed by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved thee with thy whole hearts. I have not loved thy neighbor as thyself. I am truly sorry and I humbly repent for the sake of thy son, Jesus Christ, that, me, that we, we may delight in thy will and walk in thy ways to the glory of our names. Amen. There's a reason why we have to say that on a regular basis because we sin. We sinners. We, we is sinners. But still, in a situation with Deshaun Watson, in a situation, in a situation where uh, there's outrage, there's discussion, about him getting a six-game suspension for what he did. It's a great time now, I think, again, where we as a society needs to, um, we need to sit down and we need to talk about this for the betterment of not just women to get a better understanding and for women to get a better understanding of why the majority of males still feel this way and that and the other it's a situation where it's a talking point it's a discussion point it's something to where 
we need to get together and we need to discuss and we need to talk and we need to have our, our uh, we need to have the children we need to have the younger generation we need to talk to them about this we need to do all of these things and do it together do it in unity do it in harmony do it in love do it with peace and understanding thoughtfulness shutting up and learning from each other and, and doing this will we do this no but it would be a great uh, it would be a great situation uh if we did so you know um, that's, that's the deal. But, uh, one of these days, I, I, I just hope that this talking point, it's, this will go on for maybe another 24, 36 hours. <clears throat> and then, um, you know, people will get more into, uh, Debu Samuel's contract extension and what's going to be happening with Jimmy tree, where, where he's going to be going. And, you know, the Ryan Jensen, the loss of the center for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, how that's going to affect Tom Brady. All of those type of football issues will supersede and, I'm quite sure in the next day or two, once we've kind of gotten out all of our, after we've uh, thrown up all of our outrage and speaking about Deshaun Watson, it'll go back to, well, how is Jacoby Brissett going to do as quarterback with the Cleveland Browns? And for the first six games that Deshaun Watson has been suspended by the NFL for uh, what he did, how is that going to, to affect the Browns? If Cleveland can be three and three or four, three and uh, four and two or two and four, whatever, you know, and they'll be breaking down the schedule and they'll be breaking down the games to say, well, you know, what type of place will Cleveland be in when Deshaun Watson comes back? And so this will be exhausted and exhumed and we'll go back to football, whether it's the right time or not. I don't know, but that'll be the deal. So um, hopefully on my next podcast, the audio podcast, because I'll be speaking about this with a video podcast. Hopefully, um, we'll go back to speak about football. But I say hopefully. Should we? Should this be in the? Should this even be something to wear? Look, man, you speak football and speak about who's going to be winning the games that the athletes play. <clears throat> but um, where, where does a situation like this start to intrude with my football watching? You know how the ignorant fools were always offended when Colin Kaepernick and others would kneel at the national anthem and the idiots and the out of touched and the privileged and the uh, folks living in a, an environment that didn't include any type of acknowledgement or diversity or education would sit there and say Kaepernick is anti-American and he's anti-military and he's anti-police black man being anti-police. Wow. That's a stretch, huh? Wow. Well, the, the, the nerve of us. But um, <clears throat> remember when that started to uh, become a, sore point because people just wanted to watch their football games even though these idiots didn't fucking realize that they were doing this before the national anthem that they weren't kneeling after every play they weren't kneeling after every possession they weren't kneeling uh during the game itself but people were so ignorant and selfish and intolerant that they couldn't even get that through their heads remember that so when are we going to get to the point where it's going to be okay to say hey yeah look god deshaun watson you know, he was creepy and he, you know, he sexually assaulted 27 people. Okay, can we move on? I'm trying to watch a game here. Jeez. Can't even enjoy. I'm trying to use football and an escape. And you guys keep bringing up what Deshaun Watson did. Damn, give me a break here. Boy, this is horrible. This is terrible. This woke crowd is really getting on my nerves. These libs are really getting on my nerves with this Deshaun Watson um, sexually violating women when I'm trying to watch a football game. God almighty, this is awful. When do we get to that point? 
All right already. We got it. We understand. Can we get back to what we need to do to win a football game? Can we get back to the games that people play for real? God almighty. Does real life have to venture into this all the time? When do we get to that point? It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. For me, it'll be probably starting next week unless something happens with some ruling on Thursday that the NFL does or this story continues. But uh, as I mentioned before, it'll probably be about after Thursday if the NFL does nothing, sweep it under the rug. There'll probably be about another 10 minutes of horrible, terrible, awful. The NFL wanted this all along, blah, blah, blah. And then once the Hall of Fame game starts and preseason games start and we'll be fine and this will be this will be uh, done for. So, yeah, man. Deshaun Watson, six games. Horrible, terrible, but for Deshaun, for the NFL, for the Cleveland Browns, the noise and the anger and the outrage, this will soon, very quickly, pass. Last segment of the podcast, last segment of the program, Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to my podcast. Again, if you want to watch me do my thing, I'll be putting out my YouTube episode in a couple of days. Just go over, go over to Wendell's World of Sports, subscribe, like my video, and again, go ahead as far as listening to this video anywhere where you listen this audio anywhere where you're listening to your favorite podcast download subscribe rate review follow like enjoy the most entertaining thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to man it would be absolutely fabulous 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 one more thing with the deshaun watson then i want to move ahead and speak about an american icon and legend in the passing of bill russell on sunday one one more thing i want to uh mention though about this whole deshaun watson deal and whether what type of impact this is going to have on the legacy of Deshaun Watson, what impact, negative, positive, this is going to have on the league, on the Cleveland Browns, on Deshaun Watson. It's all going to be predicated in terms of forgiving and forgetting. Now, some people will not ever forgive Deshaun Watson what he did. I do not blame them whatsoever. Um, but there's going to be some in terms of for the majority of we if we've seen the multitude of examples concerning when athletes do badly. Uh, whatever they do, whether it be, you know, being part of a double murder, whether we're speaking about raping a woman in Colorado, whether we're speaking about uh, initiating a dog fighting and murdering dogs, whether we're speaking about driving drunk and killing people, whether we're speaking about the many instances of domestic violence and abuse, no matter how horrible, no matter how terrible the uh, details are of the actions taken by that athlete when he's inflicting violence and anger and rage and physical harm on on females or on children and such. One thing that we can always do to forgive, for the most part, especially when you were speaking about the many masses of folks, sporting folks, it's not going to be based on what you do off the field, just like it wasn't going to be based on what an athlete would do off the baseball diamond, off the basketball court, outside the octagon, outside the boxing week, outside of the football stadiums. 
outside of these the, the the arenas that they make their trade, that they make their financial, uh, that they that they uh, get paid to do. What's going to be happening is what they do when they get on the football field, when they get on the soccer field, when they get in the basketball arena, when they step on the ice, when they step on the tennis court, when they get into the octagon, when they start swimming in the swimming pool, when they get on the uh, gymnastics field, well, the track and field, whatever, whatever profession that they have. It's how you do once you get there to entertain us is going to be the measuring stick on how much we forgive or at the very least forget mitigate the um, transgressions that you had uh, in the past. So it's not a situation where Deshaun Watson is going to be going around speaking about the folks and saying to uh, folks in Cleveland and others, look, I'm really sorry and showing attrition and I'm going to be doing everything. I'm going to be becoming the Billy. I'm going to be becoming the male version of Billie Jean King in terms of the fight for the advancement of women. And I'm going to be going to rape centers and helping out. And I'm going to be making PSAs. And I'm going to be doing all of these things to show true contrition and sincere uh, sorrow for what I've done. If he do, if he does all those things and he comes out and he does not live up to what the Cleveland Browns and the Cleveland Browns fans and advertising partners and ever expect him to do, if he doesn't live up to that, all of those things that he does off the football field in the advancement and helping the advancement to true equality for women are going to be negated, are going to be, uh, are going to be lessened greatly. What Deshaun Watson needs to do is to go out there and play football and play football at a high level. If Deshaun Watson can do that, if Deshaun Watson for the next five or six years and seven years can be the top-tier quarterback that the Cleveland Browns are paying him to be, that the Cleveland Browns fan base are expecting him to be. If Deshaun Watson can lead the Cleveland Browns to a Super Bowl championship, that will go much farther in terms of the positive image of Deshaun Watson and the totality of his career and what we're speaking about in terms of Deshaun Watson, the human being. What he did in terms of the sexual assault and all of the details that went into that and the number of people that he um, offended in lives that he ruined, <clears throat> that will all be mitigated greatly <clears throat> if he lives up to what he does on the football field, not what he does off the football field to try to make amends for the misgivings and misdeeds that he did, which again shows you the, which again shows you the, um, the weakness of our society as a whole, a weakness that I contribute to and I'm a part of. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Want to uh, speak about the passing again of a man who should be spoken about. His name should be learned. His deeds should be learned uh, in history classes throughout not just this country, but the world. When we're speaking about someone who fought for equality, someone who fought for uh, the banishment of ignorance and stupidity when it comes to of the relationships with people of all different races, faces, and places. Speaking about the passing of an American icon, a legend, all of those things. Bill Russell, cornerstone of the Boston Celtics dynasty that won eight straight titles, 11 and 13 years, died on Sunday at the age of 88, died peacefully with his wife, Janine, at his side. 13 years with the franchise. Russell won five MVPs, earned 12 All-Star appearances, I guess you could say that he was the greatest teammate and winner in team sports history. 
when you speak about him winning not just eight championships in a row, not just 11 championships in 13 years, won multiple championships in college, along with the pros that I just mentioned, won a championship in high school, won a gold medal, changed the way that the game was played as far as being the greatest defensive force in the history of the game. I mean, when we're speaking about pioneers, when we're speaking about people who actually changed the game, the way the game was changed, and we're speaking about George Mikan, the first great superstar which helped save the NBA back when the NBA first started. He was the person that everybody wanted to see. He was that crossover superstar from the NBA. When we're speaking about the way the game is played now with hang time and the moves and the grooves that we see people, that all started with Elgin Baylor, Spingarn High School, Washington, D.C., Wilt Chamberlain, his dominance, changing the way that the game was played, and also Bill Russell. When you're speaking about the imprint and the impact that the game, that he had on the game, the way that the game is played uh, as of today. So, I mean, this, this is a situation where he was the first black head coach in team sports history. If you want to uh, take a look at that, the NBA, and the first black head coach, Bill Russell, that was 19. That was for the 1966-67 season. The NFL didn't have a black head coach until Art Shell became the coach of the Oakland Raiders in 1991. Major League Baseball didn't have a black coach or a black manager until Frank Robinson in 1974. So the NBA was ahead of that curve. And as a player coach with the Celtics, he won two more championships before retiring in 1969. So that was his legacy as an athlete. And that's substantial. And, and that's great. But, but that doesn't make him historical. That doesn't make him an American pioneer. That doesn't make him an Amer- American icon. That doesn't make him the reason why kids today, generations, younger generations, need to know the Bill Russell story, need to know who Bill Russell was, needs to be spoken in the history books, whether we're speaking about juniors in high school, sophomores in high schools, eighth graders in middle schools, whatever. Why the name Bill Russell needs to be taught with the same fervor and with the same seriousness as George Washington and the rest of these fucking clowns is because of what he did to transform, to move society to where it is right now. One of the greatest things, and I said this when my dad died, and I said this at his uh, funeral, I said that, uh, you know, one of the greatest things that happened with my dad was he was born at a time where Black folks were truly second-class citizens, where it was legal to lynch, where it was legal to um, trample on and not respect the rights and treat the black man and treat the black person like a human being. Bill Russell was born in Louisiana, where legalized segregation was the norm, where lynching black folks for just taking a look at a white woman speaking to a white woman was the norm where it was a situation where you could get away with with brutalizing and murdering someone who was black if they dared to disrespect a white male or a white woman, see Emmett Till. Bill Russell was born, grew up, raised, spent a lot of his adulthood in that society where black people were treated like chattel, where black folks were considered three-fifths of a human being, where black folks were not allowed to vote, where black folks were not given the same opportunities uh, that other that, that that white folks had. Bill Russell was part of that, and Bill Russell, with his hard work, Bill Russell with his intelligence, Bill Russell with his inter- determination, Bill Russell with everything that he did, 
the the the, the um, everything that he did in 2008 when we spoke about him being alive to see the inauguration of the first black president of this country in Barack Obama. Everything that Bill Russell did, he had the ability to see that. Malcolm X didn't have the ability to see that. Edgar Evers didn't have the ability to see that. Bobby and John Kennedy didn't have the ability to see that. Martin Luther King didn't have the ability to see that. Uh, you know that. You know countless others who fought and died in sacrifice for the betterment of others did not have the opportunity to see that historical day in 2008 where Barack Hussein Obama, still my president, was uh, sworn in as president. But Bill Russell did. So Bill Russell came from the bottom, and we still have a long way to go because we ain't near the top in terms of true integration, true respect for others and such. But uh, he was there for a big part of it in terms of seeing that historical moment. So God bless him. I only wish that he didn't have to be part of the next four years or the last four years that the president that we had in name only, but, you know, case to rah, rah. But, uh, yeah, so Bill Russell, true true pioneer. And what he did for civil rights, what he did for the movement. I've always said February 25th, 1964, when then Cassius Clay defeated Sonny Liston to become the heavyweight champion of the world, changed the world that we know it as of today. That we It, it, it was a situation where Barack Obama does not become president if that momentous moment in American history didn't happen. Yes, a sporting event. Yes, a boxing match. All of the things that we have today, the progress of women, the progress of blacks, the progress of Latinos, the progress of gays, the progress of those who practice the religion of Islam, those from Middle Eastern countries, all of these things probably do not happen or are not near the level that it is right now if February 25th in 1964 in Miami that... Sonny Liston was not beaten, TKO'd, didn't answer the round, didn't answer the eighth round from then Cassius Clay, who changed the name to Muhammad Ali and changed the way the world is looked at today. That doesn't happen. But also what doesn't happen along with that, in terms of the level that we are today, Muhammad Ali did not become Muhammad Ali if it wasn't for people like Bill Russell. Barack Obama did not become president of the United States if it's not because of people like Bill Russell. Women's group, women's movement does not, is not advanced as far as it is, even though we have a long way to go with other minorities, women included, if it wasn't for Bill Russell. That's the reason why Bill Russell needs to be talked about in the history books. That's the reason why 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds, 14-year-olds, 13-year-olds, 12-year-olds need to know the lessons, need to know the legacy, need to know the man by the name of William Felton Russell. That's the reason why when you speak about some of the attributes, when you speak about some of the accomplishments, what he did off the basketball off the basketball court, outspoken about discrimination, prejudice, and bigotry throughout his life, criticized the NBA for what he saw as quotas on the number of black players in the league. In 1961, after a restaurant in Lexington, Kentucky, the Celtics were there to honor Frank Ramsey, who was a player for Adolf Rupp, a well-known racist, by the way, may he rot in hell, but uh, Adolf Rupp, Kentucky basketball, huge in that area because of their dominance in college basketball. Well, the Boston Celtics played an exhibition game in Lexington, Kentucky, and it was a big honoring of Frank Ramsey. Well, Bill Russell and Casey Jones went out to uh, get a meal before the game, and they were refused service because of the color of their skin. 
So what did uh, Bill Russell do? He boycotted the game. He organized a boycott of the game. And Frank Ramsey was like, man, please, I'm sorry, Bill. I mean, you know, but, I mean, you know, this is Lexington, Kentucky. These people love me, this, that, and the other. I mean, if this happens, this, that, and the other. And Bill Russell was like, sorry, Frank. (laughs) You know, it's just the way it is. I mean, they're going to treat me like that, and then they expect me to go out and play for their enjoyment. Fuck them. So, you know, once in Marion, Indiana, Russell was presented the key to the city by the mayor. Well, after he would refuse service at a local restaurant, him, Casey Jones, another, middle of the night, Bill Russell found out where the mayor was, knocked on his door and said, here's your key. If this is the way I'm going to be treated, I don't want a key to your damn city. Here you go. Have a good one. He immediately, as I mentioned before, immediately drove to the house, knocked on the door, gave the key back to the mayor. 1975, he declined to attend his Hall of Fame induction, later calling it insulting to all the black players who are not inducted before him when you're speaking about Sweetwater Clifton and, and, and others. He was one of the leaders in going to Mississippi to start the first integrated basketball camp in the wake of Medgar Evers' assassination. Most of you fucking clowns don't even know who Medgar Evers is. Get a clue and learn something. But uh, this was a situation where, you know, he faced death threats. You know, any type of integration when we're speaking about the early 60s in Mississippi I mean, people were getting lynched. People were getting killed down there. Freedom workers were getting murdered down there. Bill Russell was like, I don't give a fuck. I mean, you know, and people were speaking about, was this a wise idea? Do you think that it's good to have black kids play with white kids? And Bill Russell was like, sure. My kids play with white kids all the time. Ain't nobody gotten hurt, at least not yet. So, the situation, 2017, and it remained relevant in 2017, Russell tweeted a picture of himself kneeling in solidarity with Colin Kaepernick and other athletes while wearing the Medal of Freedom around his neck, the one that he received in 2011 from uh, President Barack Obama. And what he tweeted was he was proud to take a knee and stand tall against social injustice. While many people were speaking about Colin Kaepernick needs to turn in, Colin Kaepernick was anti-American and they were watching the football game again and these fucking morons were burning their... NFL jerseys and their jackets and everything. These people going on YouTube are so fucking stupid and so fucking ignorant that they were going to go in there and burn their jackets, burn their jerseys. If you're so gung-ho about being an American and wanted to make a point about I'm more American than Colin Kaepernick is, who's anti-American for taking a knee during the national anthem and let me show you how I can show my patriotism by burning his jersey and burning the uh, merchandise and burning the clothing that has the team name that he plays on, why don't you fucking idiots go ahead and find a, uh, find a, uh, uh, find a place where veterans are in need. Homeless veterans are in need. These idiots out in Ohio and Pittsburgh where, I don't know, during the winter months, gets a little bit nippy as far as the uh, weather is concerned. You fucking clowns are up there burning your uh, gear. Instead of doing that to show your patriotism, why don't you go down and give... A, a, a homeless vet or someone who's down under luck the, the clothing if you didn't want it that's a better way to show patriotism than going on YouTube or social media and having a bonfire where you burned your fucking jersey you fucking ass clowns but then again we don't live in the smartest country by far so you know but uh, yeah so Bill Russell was part of all that and of course people on Twitter took him to school in terms of he's anti-American and you know, all this kind of nonsense, you know, I- ignorance will be ignorance. But uh, yeah, I mean that—that's where Bill Russell, his real contribution 
to society really came in. But the platform that he was given to play basketball, he used that to the betterment of us and you and everybody else. And we always like to categorize and we always like to pigeonhole to say that Bill Russell did a great job and along with Ali and Jim Brown and, and every we always like to categorize. Like Bill Russell, what he did for the black community was awesome with his stand and his fight against segregation and prejudice and bigotry. No! No, 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 no. Bill Russell was a was an advantage and Bill Russell was a great uh person and pioneer for what he did. For all people. It wasn't just for the betterment of black people. It was for the betterment of all people. White people, Asians, Hispanics, everybody. This wasn't a situation where only black folks benefited from the sacrifices that Bill Russell made. He It benefited everybody. Because it did change and wake up some folks who were ignorant to the plight of the black man and plight of those of the downtrodden. He did bring unity. He did bring harmony. It's just a situation where it was white folks didn't need it. Black folks needed it. He was only dealing with black folks in terms of helping them out. And black folks were the only ones that were helped out by his, um, by his stances against segregation and racism. No, 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 no. It helped everybody. Just like Billie Jean King. It wasn't a situation where her focusing her advancement for women only helped women. Because it brought intelligence to women and their plight and who they were as human beings and such. In totality, it helped everybody. It helped every race. It helped every gender. It helped everybody. So I'm always insulted when you hear that type of stuff. What Bill Russell and other freedom fighters and other great athletes who stood up against racism. What it did for black people. No, 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 no. Not just black people. For everybody. Again, and that's the... That's what makes him, that's what made Bill Russell the American icon and legend that he was. And people were speaking about, well, he was surly and he was, <laughs> you go ahead and face racism for the majority of your life. You go ahead and face some of these, these, these slights and some of the disrespect just based on the color of, their, of his skin. You, you go ahead and, and do that. And then the at the time, the argument was, well, you know, Bill Russell's a guy who's the highest paid on the Celtics and he's making all this money. So what is he so upset about? What is he so surly about? What is he complaining about? What is he doing taking all these stance? What's he doing making all these comments? What What's, what's the situation where, you know, he's treating the, the, the public in the media? Why does he have all of these types of uh, issues? Why does, he have, why does he have this attitude when as a black man in this country where so many are downtrodden and not having the opportunity that he has... Why is he so, you know, angry and this, that, and the other, and mean and surly and nasty toward toward uh, the white media or toward white America in general sometimes? Why is that? What's his problem? What's his deal? <laughs> really? This is the guy when he barnstormed with other NBA All-Stars during the summer months to make extra cash The hotel owners denied rooms to Russell and his black teammates. When he bought a home in Reading, Massachusetts, and they held a, cel- held a uh, ceremony for him. And with tears in his eyes, he said Tom Heinsohn told the story on the Bill Russell Sports Entry uh, feature on ESPN. Tom Heinsohn was speaking about, you know, they held a big whoop-de-doo shing-ding for the band. And with tears in his eyes, he said that, you know, Reading, Massachusetts, that was predominantly white. This is where I want to live the rest of my days. This is where I want my family to live. This is where I want to raise my children. 
So shortly after that, while Russell and the family were out of town on a weekend trip, burglars broke into Russell's uh, home, smashed his trophies, spray-painted nigger on the walls, defecated on the bed, vandalized his home, and when he went to the police to report it, the police were like, oh, it must have been squirrels. Oh, well, sucks for you. Nothing we can do. You know, as a result of repeated racial bigotry, guess what? Bill Russell refused to respond to fan acclaim or friendship from his neighbors thinking it was insincere and hypocritical. Because, yeah, you'll cheer me when I'm on the basketball court, but when I go to a golf course, you won't let me on. When I go to a certain restaurant in a certain part of town, you won't let me in because of the color of my skin. When I try to live in a certain neighborhood, you won't let me do that because of the color of my skin. So what what whoop-de-doo do I have toward Boston? Why should I be speaking about Boston in such glowing, flowery terms when I'm being treated like this? When the situation where the Boston Celtics were winning championships, the Boston Bruins, the NHL hockey team, was downtrodden and not doing anything, but yet the Bruins were selling out the Garden and NBA Finals in important games, the Boston Garden, when the Celtics were playing, was not even three-fourths full, and when they took a poll saying what can be done to increase the attendance at the Boston Garden, what the reason why you guys aren't really feeling the Boston Celtics like you are the Boston Bruins, and over 50% of those responded said there's too many black players. And when Boston sports journalist Larry Clapton claimed that Russell was racist himself, that he was the real racist. Doesn't this stuff all sound familiar when the FBI maintained a file on Russell and described him as in their file as arrogant, an arrogant Negro who won't sign autograph for white children? Doesn't this stuff all sound familiar? I mean, doesn't this all, I mean, kind of all this nonsense, doesn't this kind of apply to a lot of folks what's going through the nonsense of people's minds today? So it's it's always funny, it's always laughable when it's kind of like, because for years that turned Bill Russell off to the city of Boston. He was always quoted as saying, look, I play for the Boston Celtics. I don't play for Boston. I don't play for the fans of Boston. Basically, he said, fuck them. I don't give a fuck. I play for the Boston Celtics. I play for my teammates. I play for Red Auerbach. I play for the owner, Walter Brown. That's who I play for. I'm not playing for these. I'm not playing for these people. I'm not playing for this city. Why the fuck would I want to do that for? And he was the one. That was, you know, he, he was the one that should be blamed. He's the one with the problem. He's the one that needs to be straightened out. He's the one that's arrogant. He's the one that's surly. He's the one that's in the wrong. He's the one that shouldn't be having these uh, thoughts and opinions about the city of Boston after the way they treated him. That's really, that's the way, sound familiar, doesn't it? Shit that he was going through back in 1960-something, back in the 1960s. Kind of still resonates today in the uh, twenty uh, the year twenty twenty two, doesn't it? Interesting. So you know, but um, you know, uh, the legend of Bill Russell, man, should be spoken in the same breath as Jackie Robinson and Jack Johnson and Jesse Owens and Joe Lewis and Billie Jean King and Babe Dietrichson Zaharias and Wilma Rudolph and Jim Thorpe and Jim Brown and Althea Gibson and Hank Aaron and. The greatest Muhammad Ali, Kurt Flood, Martina Navratilova, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Serena and Venus Williams, Colin Kaepernick, Magic Johnson, all of those guys. That's the legend, man. That's the level that he should be speaking about. Third generation when we're speaking about Bill Russell in terms of his imprint and his impact that he had on future generations. Because Russell came after Jack Johnson, who was the first black heavyweight champion. 
came after Joe Lewis, what really was the foundation set for the civil rights movement, came after Jesse Owens, who helped uh, that movement along in the 1936 Olympics, Jackie Robinson, who integrated baseball then, the most uh, important sport and the most popular sport, Larry Doby, the second black man who was the first black man to integrate the uh, sport of baseball, Jackie Robinson, Brooklyn Dodgers, the National League, Larry Doby, the American League, the Negro Leaguers who played before the show that, uh, you know, Oscar Charleston and and those guys were just as good as the uh, white players would gave Branch Rickey the opportunity to go ahead and get Jackie Robinson to bring him over to the, um, or, or put him in the uh, major leagues. So Bill Russell, when you're speaking about his idols who helped influence him along with his father and such, were people like Jackie Robinson and Joe Lewis and such. Without those guys, it wouldn't be a Bill Russell. Just like Muhammad Ali, it wouldn't. It, it, you know, it wasn't for those guys. There wouldn't be a Bill Russell. There wouldn't be a Kurt Flood. There wouldn't be a Muhammad Ali. There wouldn't be a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. There wouldn't be an Althea Gibson. There wouldn't be a Martina Navratilova. There wouldn't be a Colin Kaepernick and such. So all of this stuff is generational. But when we're speaking about you know the contributions and the impact that it had moving forward, moving forward, moving forward. It's going to be interesting which player now, which athlete now is going to be taking the lessons learned from people like Ali, people like Bill Russell and such, and move it to the next generation. So the next generation and the generation after that can look in such reverence to those athletes who help further advance society to a more loving and uh, harmonious place. So... Look, man, you know, we, we need those guys more than ever. The lessons of Bill Russell and such need to be taught. They need to be learned. Too late for my generation, too late for the generation before and after. But uh, they need to be taught. There's a civil war coming in this country sooner rather than la- later. And it's going to be good versus evil. It ain't going to be black versus white. It ain't going to be any of that nonsense. It's going to be good versus evil. And which side are you going to be on? Because right now there is a fight. Right now there is a war on democracy. There is a war on decency. There is a war on moving this country forward toward peace, toward unity, toward opportunity and freedom for everybody, regardless of race, regardless of who you love, regardless of what uh, gender you are. There's There's a fight going on right now. There's a fight going on right now in this country. And the person who ran this country into the ground basically in 2016, from 2016 to 2020, is at the head of it. That's the evil. So what side are you going to be on? Are you going to be on evil? Or are you going to be on the side of good? That's all I want to know. We all know who's on the side of evil. We all know which Congress people in Georgia, in Texas, in Pennsylvania, in Ohio, in Nevada, in Arizona. We, we know in Utah, we know what side they're on. We know what party is for the evil. We know which one wants to eradicate democracy. We know which one wants to bring the country back to the days of Bill Russell had to fight and had to scratch, had to claw, had to uh, uh, sacrifice. We, we, we know which party and which people are trying to lead us back to somewhere around those times. So we need to start learning the lessons of Bill Russell and such and what he did so we can open up our eyes and open up our brains and our common sense to see exactly what's going on. Sacrifice what's going on for the betterment of others to see what's going on 
Even if you are not around those people, even if you don't know any of those people, even if you're from an isolated place, an isolated community, we need to learn what Bill Russell went through and what he did to overcome the obstacles that were placed in front of him to lead this country to where it is now. Still a long way to go, but where we are right now, we need to learn the lessons. The young folks of this country need to learn the lessons before it's too late. So what's it going to be? What's it going to be? That's all I got to say as I'm out of here. Rest in peace, Bill Russell. You well deserve it. All right, I'm out of here. Thank you so doggone much for listening to my podcast. I will be back with a um, video on YouTube, my YouTube channel, Wendell's World of Sports. So check that out. So be good to each other, man. Listen, learn, educate yourselves. Listen, learn, educate, shut up, drop the privilege, drop all of that nonsense and learn from someone who is different from you, different race, different place, different gender, different background, all of those type of things. So we can move this place, so we can move the society into a more loving, forgiving uh, place of equality, love and harmony. Civil War is coming. Which side are you going to be on? Wendell's World of Sports. Wendell Wallace, get me out of here with some music. So people can